You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, nice to be back with you. I was in Prague last week soaking up the pork knuckles. Yes, pork knuckles, very big in Prague. As are chimney cakes, which are exactly that. They also like crystals, lots of crystal shops. Anyway, while I was there, I reviewed two movies on the old Attaboy Clarence blog, which took a lot of dusting off to get in order. So if you want to read one of those shows instead of listening to it, then do go on over to attaboyclarence.com and click on blog, and there you shall find it. So this show may reach you before the meetup on the 5th of March in London, or it may find you after it's already taken place. So if you do get this in time and you are coming, then great, I shall see you there. And if you get this late, then there has never been a better time to invent a time machine and journey back to the 5th of March and meet us at Finch's Bar in Finsbury, London, between 5pm and 8pm, because I'll buy you an ice cream. Oh, yes, I will. Welcome along, anyway, to this edition. Lovely of you to join me. I'll be directing you towards two movies later on, both with a supernatural and somewhat fantastical flavour to them. So stay tuned for that. I've got some old-time radio for you. I think Suki's dropping in later. I am, yes. Uh, good, yes. I'm not dropping in literally, like a raindrop or an apple from an apple tree. Yes, I know. It's more like when your aunt drops in for tea or something like that, you know. Or when your landlord drops in. Or when a Jehovah's Witness drops in. Yes, I I think we understand now. Thank you. Plus, we'll be visiting the question pot. Tell you what, less gab, more fab. This is Doris Day and Buddy Clark with Love Somebody. Love somebody, yes I do. Love somebody, yes I do. Love somebody, yes I do. I love somebody, but I won't say who. Handsome say he's six feet tall, and his pictures on my wall. Love to be his baby doll. If he kissed me, I wouldn't mind at all. I love somebody, yes I do. Love somebody, yes I do. Love somebody, yes I do. Love somebody, but I won't say who. Don't know why she acts so shy. She ought to know I wouldn't dream of even hurting a fly. Hope she doesn't pass me by. Cause if she did, I'd die. I know I'd die. I love Love somebody. somebody. Yes, Yes, I do. Love somebody. Yes, I do. Love somebody. Yes, I do. Love somebody, but I won't say who. (laughs) 
strong. Would you like to feel my muscle? Bold and gay. I never once lost a tussle. At the moment, he's not very far away. Why don't you say who say already? I'd want to marry him today. But you don't say who. That I cannot do. Happen to be me. Possibility. Won't you tell me who you love? Love somebody. Tell me true. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. Love somebody. I do too. And I do. Maybe me. Love somebody. I hope it's me. Yes, I do. Love, love somebody, but I won't tell who. Come on and confess. Why don't you try and guess? Do tell. Let's tell. You promise not to breathe a word? Doris, don't be absurd. Strictly on train oui, oui, we we too. Well, confidentially. Between you and me. Confidentially, confidentially I love somebody. I've got news for you. Love somebody. I feel that way too. Love somebody. Glad it's true. That somebody that I love is you. Thank you. That was Love Somebody by Doris Day and Buddy Clark. Gorgeous as always. You and your neighbors can take a direct personal role in the fight against communism. You can do it by backing Radio Free Europe, the hard-hitting anti-communist network that pierces the Iron Curtain with broadcasts of truth and hope for Soviet-oppressed millions. Oh. Okay. Thanks. Radio Free Europe blasts red lies, makes friends for America. Back it with your truth dollars. Send them to Crusade for Freedom, care of your local postmaster. Well, well great. That made perfect sense. Hello, it's me, Suki. Suki the dog. I need to get closer to this. Hi. hi. Get back a bit. You're, you're dropping in. I am dropping in, like a very hairy snowflake. Yes, you're welcome. How's your week been? It's been very lonely, it has. Really? Why? Because someone went to Prague and left me here on my own. Oh, really? Who would do such a thing? You would do such a thing. You're a terrible person, you are. No, I'm not. How did your week go? It was all right. I watched an old gangster movie and bought a toothbrush, and then I bought a pizza. And then I stopped a pair of burglars from robbing the house by setting traps all over the place. And then you came home because John Candy gave you a lift in his van and played his pipe for you. And then you got home and cuddled me. And then you got mad because I let your tarantula out and that was the end. I'm pretty sure... That's the plot of Home Alone. How dare you question my version of events? Don't you remember the policeman with the golden tooth? No. Don't you remember the part where we went to New York and met Donald Trump and an old lady with birds on her head? That's Home Alone 2. Oh, really, is it? Yes, it is. And I suppose that the man with the beard and the snow shovel was from Home Alone 2. No, he wasn't. Thank you. He was from Home Alone 1. Oh, really? Yes. And I suppose you're going to tell me that this whole adventure was not directed by Chris Columbus and written by John Hughes. Correct. You weren't even home alone. You went to stay with two very nice old ladies. So, last week was all in my mind? Yes. That means I didn't leave a present in your shoes. A, 
of what? Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Yes, a delve into the question pot is what's required right now, and the first query I pluck from its cluttered depths is from Emily Leanne, who writes, Hi, Adam, I hope you're well. Thanks for your amazing podcasts. I honestly didn't write that bit myself. Thank you, Emily. I recently managed to hunt down two films you recommended, Confession with Kay Francis and The Queen of Spades by your favourite, Thorold Dickinson. And they both blew me away. So, so good. My question concerns Thorold. I looked into him recently, having also loved Gaslight, and discovered that he was born and grew up in Bristol, in an area close to where I live. But there's no plaque to mark the place of his birth slash where he grew up, and nobody really knows him here. I feel a plaque campaign coming on. Is this something you think you and your listeners slash followers might be able to get behind? Hoping to make it to the meetup in March? Maybe one to talk about then over an ice cream? Emily. Well, I hope you make it too, Emily. It'll be so nice to meet you. And my God, what a great idea. Does anyone know how we can get a blue plaque for Thorold Dickinson? This is the guy who basically gave Audrey Hepburn her movie break. This is the guy who made the original Gaslight, a film so good that MGM tried to have it destroyed. If anyone knows how we can get a blue plaque for Thorold Dickinson, do get in touch. And as for you, Emily Lien, here is a Canterbury wants to rule the world. On to a query from Laura Roberts, who writes, Hello, Adam. And hello, Laura Roberts. Love your work. I have a wonderful time listening to your podcasts. Thank you, Laura. I have a wonderful time making them. Thank you for all the hard work that must go into each episode. Okay, stop it, Laura. People will talk. I just finished with episode number 85, Censored. I had already seen Freaks and noticed a lot of the characters were in American Horror Stories Freak Show. But the reason for my writing, I came across a little gem called The Terror of Tiny Town. I would love to know what you think of this one. Once again, thank you and keep up the great work. Thank you, Laura, you waterfall of compliments. The Terror of Tiny Town, eh? I just looked it up. It is apparently the world's only musical western with an all-midget cast. Are we sure about that? I could have sworn that was a really popular category. Um, I haven't seen it. I'll be honest, I'm not frothing with anticipation at the prospect of seeing it, but it is intriguing me a little. So on to the wobbling watch pile it goes. And Laura, a strange movie requires a strange reward. So how about a Dramo Shag? Dramo Shag! And remember, if you have a question that you'd like to hurl into the pot of questions, go to www.attaboyclarence.com, scroll down the homepage, and plop her in there. I thank you. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Morning, a missionary advertised with neon sign. He tells the native population that civilization is fine. And three educated savages holler from a bamboo tree. That civilization is a thing for me to see. 
So bongo, 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 I don't wanna leave the Congo. Oh, no, 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 no. Bingo, bango, bongo, I'm so happy in the jungle, I refuse to go. Don't want no bright lights, false teeth, doorbells, landlords, I make it clear. That no matter how they coax him, I'll stay right here. I look through a magazine the missionary's wife concealed. Magazine? What happens? I see how people who are civilized bung you with automobiles. You know you can get hurt that way, Daniel? At the movies they have got to pay many coconuts to see. What do they see, Donnie? Uncivilized pictures that the newsreel takes of me. So, bongo, 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 he don't wanna leave the Congo, no, 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 no. Don't want no penthouse, bathtub, streetcars, taxis, noise in my ear. So no matter how they coax him, I'll stay right here. They hurry like savages to get aboard an iron train. The Tringalingo Hula Humble Express. And though it's smoker and it's crowded, they're too civilized to complain. When they've got two weeks vacation, they hurry to vacation ground. What do they do, Donnie? They swim and they fish, but that's what I do all year round. So, bongo, 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 I don't want to leave the Congo. No, 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 no. And that was the effervescent Andrews sisters with Danny Kay singing Civilization Bongo Bongo. What a title. Stars in your eyes, little one, where do you go to dream? To a place we all know, the land of make believe. Okay, so we all like a fantasy, right? Or rather, we all like the fantastical. Supernatural movies generally tend to be on a ghostly theme or a spooky theme, but sometimes they do far more interesting things than chill your spine. Sometimes they're designed to make your heart beat, or in some cases, to make your heart break. And sometimes, if you're very, very talented, you can use a supernatural setting to do both, as in the case of the two films I have for you today. The first of these is all the way from 1945, and its name is The Enchanted Cottage. Houses are like living things, alive with all the thoughts and memories of the people who've lived in them. And those thoughts and memories go on living as long as the house stands. Yes, I think I understand. I'm afraid it's some kind of trick. You see, the lovers who came here before were not like us. Ours was a marriage of convenience. 
They may think that we've profaned their memory, and this may be their revenge, letting us have happiness for a moment before taking it away. So here we have the story of Oliver Bradford, played by Robert Young, a young man about to marry his fiancée Beatrice. He's chosen for their marital home a strange cottage by the sea that's owned by the mysterious Mrs. Minnett, played by Mildred Natwick. The cottage has an enigmatic atmosphere and seems to have been the place where many lovers throughout the past made their home. Mrs. Minnett hires the dowdy Laura Pennington, played by Dorothy Maguire, to help her get the house ready for the newlyweds. But before they can move in, Oliver is called up for service and goes off to war. Oh, it's simply ridiculous, Oliver. They can't expect you to be uprooted as if you were as if you were an ordinary garden vegetable. Well, it wouldn't make much difference, Mother, if I were a rare and exotic hothouse fruit. There's a war on. We then cut to some months later. Oliver has been discharged from military service due to being wounded in his plane. He's returned home with disfigurements to his face hoping that Beatrice will be able to see past his looks and love him. But Beatrice cannot hide her disgust at Oliver's face, and he reacts by going to the cottage and barricading himself away from the human race. Well, the boy won't even talk to us. Maybe Mrs. Price is persuaded. No, if he won't talk to me, he won't talk to anybody. Of course, he is pretty badly based up, but I've told him a hundred times there's no use becoming a mental case over the injury. The only people Oliver will see are Mrs. Minnett and Laura. And as he and Laura's friendship grows into something more, so too does a strange phenomenon happen. Because as the plain and dowdy Laura and the disfigured Oliver begin to fall in love, they become beautiful again. And it all seems to have something to do with the mysterious powers of the cottage. It all has to do with this cottage. I think you know my feeling about it. It's the same as yours. Sit down, John. There's something strange about it. Something... What is it to do with you and Oliver? What is this thing that's happened to you? When I got your note, it's, it's pretty incredible. John, we've changed. Changed completely. It's true. We're no longer as we were. I can tell that from your voices. You feel different because you're happy. Oh, it's more than that. It's a physical change. It's an intriguing setup for sure, a cottage that seems to bestow eternal beauty upon those who fall in love there. I must say, I do love the way the film sets up all these little mysteries early on. It doesn't do a massively successful job in explaining them all, I have to say, but it does have a very distinctive charm and a weirdly beguiling air around it. Its pedigree is excellent. You have John Cromwell directing. He was the man who brought us films like The Prisoner of Zender and Since You Went Away. He was very good at weepies and love stories, and this is both. It also has not just the atmosphere of Val Luton around it, but also half of his team. It was written by DeWitt Bodine. It was produced by Jack Gross. It was scored by Roy Webb. It's an RKO film, so if you like the look and the feel of Val Luton movies, you get more of that here. I don't buy lots of the plot, and I know how ridiculous that sounds. It's a fantasy, right? It shouldn't be plausible. Yes, yes, but there are two glaring faults at the film's heart. Firstly, Robert Young's disfigurement is hardly the stuff of nightmares. In fact, he simply looks like he's permanently grumpy. The other fault is that Dorothy Maguire is meant to be hideous. I mean, she's meant to be so ugly that people see her and run the other way, and she just isn't. I mean, she has slightly thick eyebrows and her hair needs brushing, but she's hardly monstrous. I didn't actually like the ever-so-slightly uncomfortable line of reasoning 
between her and Mildred Natwick either. There's one scene where the perfectly attractive Mildred Natwick tells the perfectly attractive Dorothy Maguire that her plain face is basically a curse that'll prevent her from leading a full life, and it's utter BS. It's not for some of us, for you and for me to try to live like other people. You think you can sometimes, but there's always the world to remind you. All the things that other people take for granted, you've got to make up your mind and your heart. They're not for you. You've got to find something else to take their place. Somewhere where you're safe, where no one can hurt you. Yes, don't tell her that beauty comes from the inside or anything like that, will you? Just put a hex on the poor girl for life. Much better idea. But let's push all that negativity to one side for a second because this film's central thesis of how love is not blind but accepting is very sweet. I won't ruin the movie for you by explaining exactly what the power of the cottage is, but it's quite powerful, especially considering the time in which this film was released. This was a very hopeful beacon for many who were returning from war with life-changing injuries and who were facing uncertainty in their personal lives because of them. A fantasy about the heart's ability to see deeper than the surface must have been quite the salve to many, many people, and its foundations and its message are still as relevant today as they were then. It's a sweet film, quite magical and deeply romantic. It has its faults, yes, but that's also part of the film's message. We all do. And isn't it wonderful when we're given the chance to see beyond those faults to the heart of things? Because it's there that the real beauty lies. One of the most curious love affairs in classic cinema came in 1948, which is significant in lots of ways, really. For starters, the actual story of this film is set in 1934, so we're actually watching something of a period film, but it almost comes across as something more modern, but almost not. <laughs> it's a movie that's very much lost in time, which is very fitting, given the themes here. This is Portrait of Jenny, starring Joseph Cotton, Jennifer Jones, Ethel Barrymore, and Cecil Calloway. New York is a cold place in the winter. It was no warmer in the winter of 34. Yet there is a type of suffering for the artist which is worse than anything a winter or poverty can do. It is more like a winter of the mind, a dreadful feeling of, of the world's indifference. My courage had all run out. The story here is of an impoverished artist named Eben Adams, played by Cotton who's struggling to find his identity as an artist, when one day in Central Park, he meets and befriends a small girl named Jenny, played by Jennifer Jones. Yes, she plays a little girl. Isn't anybody here with you? No. Why should there be? It's getting pretty dark. Oughtn't you go home? Well, I don't have to go home yet. Nobody's ready for me. Anyway, you're with me. I'm Jenny. Jenny? Jenny what? Jenny Appleton. Father and mother are actors and actresses. They're working down in Hammerstein's Victoria. They do juggling on a rope. <laughs> Did you say Hammerstein's? Uh-huh, why? Because it was torn down years ago when I was a boy. Jenny disappears back off to her life and so does Eben. But he's somehow bewitched by Jenny's nature and by the mysterious things she said. When he begins to investigate her story, he finds that there was indeed a Jenny Appleton 
but that she lived a long time ago. He passes this off as some kind of childish prank and goes back to his life, but it isn't long before Jenny visits again and again, showing up at odd times of the day and in odd circumstances, and each time they meet, she seems to have aged a little more, and as Eben gets to know the woman she's turning into, he finds himself falling in love with her and simultaneously discovering the inspiration he's been seeking for so long. What's this? A sketch of a little girl I saw in the park. It's very good, isn't it, Miss Finney? Yes, I think you have something there, Adam. Do you know why I like it? Why? There's a quality about the girl that reminds me of uh, long ago. And there ought to be something timeless about a woman. Something eternal. You can see it in all the great portraits of the past. They make you feel you could meet those women anywhere and be inspired by them. Well then, Mr. Adams, I tell you what I'll do. I'll take that sketch. I'll give you $25 for it, and I don't care what Miss Finney says. I'm not going to say anything. But the path to true love is never that easy. Jenny is not part of our world. She's lost in time. But why? And what incident is about to take place at a lonely lighthouse that threatens to keep them apart forever? You can say what you like about David O. Selznick as a human being, but he really did make some quality cinema. There is something so reassuringly opulent about that Selznick overture at the beginning of a movie. You always know that as a viewer, you're in safe hands. This is a very strange choice for him. Yes, it's based on a novella, and he was known for his prowess in adapting literature, and yes, it's remarkably faithful to its source. But in many ways, despite its astronomical budget, it's a much smaller film than we're used to from him. We know up front that this is a supernatural film too, and I have to say, it's incredibly eerie. I mean, you're never frightened of Jenny herself, but there is something particularly haunting about her nature about the strange song she sings, and the inevitable feeling of dread that somehow builds up behind all the glossy romance. For some reason, I always seem to watch this film when I'm ill. It's one of those things I run my finger across and say, that's the one, whenever I'm laid up or overtired or something, and it never fails to trip me out. It's the combination of the eeriness and the peculiar way in which it's shot and the sweetly macabre music behind it all that adds up to this swirling dream of a film. And there are some visual effects in it that, if you're not expecting them, will make you wonder if you've actually ingested some acid or something. The canvas effect, in particular, is very strange. Every time a scene cuts, you have this canvas weave effect overlaid on the screen to give it the effect of being a painting or something. And it makes my head spin. It's not entirely successful, but it does make the whole thing even more trippy. Another part that I find absolutely bizarre is the opening narration. The film has no credits to speak of, so we get this opening monologue before a disembodied voice says, And now, portrait of Jenny. It's pretty whack. And another element I have a real problem with is that Jennifer Jones, who was almost 30 at the time, plays a 10-year-old girl at one point. I'm making it sound terrible. It's not terrible. There are elements that don't work, yes, but you have to see it because it's a genuinely bizarre supernatural romance, a bit like The Time Traveler's Wife, if you've read that book. Cross that with 2001 A Space Odyssey. 
if you're unprepared, it might mess with the wiring in your head a little. It's bizarrely beautiful, and it's strangely compelling, and it's gorgeous to look at, and it is heartbreaking. It is a fever dream on film, which is not something you can say about many films from this era. So if you don't mind your head being scrambled slightly, do check out the ghostly charms of 1948's Portrait of Jenny. Well, I'm delighted to tell you that the always dependable Lux Radio Theatre adapted The Enchanted Cottage for the radio and reunited its original stars Robert Young and Dorothy McGuire to do so. So prepare to have your heart smashed to smithereens for an entire hour of glorious, fantastical make-believe in Lux's very fine adaptation of The Enchanted Cottage. I'll see you afterwards. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Uppermost... In our hearts and minds this holiday is a thought of peace and the knowledge that millions of our fighting men are coming home. Some will return, as they have already, with the scars and disillusionment of battle, faced with problems of adjustment that require not alone their fortitude, but ours as well, our sympathy, our tact, and our understanding. This is a theme of tonight's Lux Radio Theater play, RKO's courageous and inspiring drama, The Enchanted Cottage, starring Robert Young and Dorothy McGuire in the roles they filled so ably on the screen. Written originally by Sir Arthur Wing Pinero, it tells how one returning soldier finds a strange and unexpected love to take the place of tragedy and heartbreak. Of course, all men come back to something different, but each looks forward to essentially the same reward, home and love and a return to familiar things. And I think every fighting man feels grateful to the women of America who've kept the home fires burning and kept themselves as tender and as lovely as the day they said goodbye. If a product like Lux Toilet Soap has helped a little, help those women guard their feminine loveliness, then that is another tribute to their good sense and discrimination. In fact, it's that very preference for Lux that enables us to raise this curtain every Monday night and bring you now the Enchanted Cottage Starring Robert Young as Oliver Bradford and Dorothy McGuire as Laura Pennington. Lonely, remote, the cottage stands today as it has for 150 years. Close by, the restless Atlantic beats upon the rocky New England shore, and all about is the forest. A place of awe and strange beauty. Forgotten lovers of forgotten generations knew the place well. For long, long ago, brides and grooms would come to the cottage to spend their honeymoons. In more recent years, the cottage has been owned by a widow, a Mrs. Minnett, who keeps her distance and sees to it that others keep theirs. But four years ago, on a December morning, Mrs. Minnett was expecting a caller. The caller came from the village. Near the cottage, she encountered a boy. Hello, Daddy. What are you doing way out here? We're taking a walk, Miss Pennington. Uncle John and I. Mr. Hillgrove? Uh-huh. He's blind. Yes, I know. Where is he? Oh, back by the old ball. He says there's lots of music around here. He wanted to sit and think about it. Well, you'd better not wander off, Danny. I just thought maybe I could find out about the witch. She lives in the cottage. Oh, that's just Mrs. Minnett, Danny, and I'm about to call on her. You don't think I go calling on a witch, do you? Exit. Here, Uncle John. He calls me Taxi because I take him places. <laughs> Stay there. I'll catch up with you. Okay. 
Lots of people say she's a witch. Oh, I'm afraid you're just a couple of hundred years too late for witches, Danny. Yeah, I guess I'm a couple of hundred years too late for anything. Well, I wouldn't worry about it. I think something will turn up. You really think so? Mm-hmm. Well, here's Uncle John. This is Miss Pennington, Uncle John. How do you do, Mr. Hillgrove? Good morning. Uncle John is a great piano player, Miss Pennington. He plays the piano. Yes, I've read about him. It would be nice if all the critics had Danny's enthusiasm. <laughs> well, goodbye, Miss Pennington. Nice to have met you. Thank you. Goodbye. Your friend has a very pleasant voice, Danny. Yeah, but she sure is homely, Uncle John. Well, that's not nice, Danny. Don't you always say I should tell the truth? There's a time and a place, even for the truth. You say so, Uncle John. But she really is homely. Where is she going? To see Mrs. Minnett. Oh. Well, let's get back to the village. Yes? Mrs. Minnett, I'm Laura Pennington. Come in. Thank you. Oh, this room. It's just as I imagined it would be. Sit down, please. I understand you're looking for a job. Well, I suppose I'm really looking for a home. I need a young woman to help me, Miss Pennington. One without attachments. And I can't have anyone here who believes in that ridiculous notion that this cottage is, well, haunted. It's not haunted. You know that, don't you? Well, I'm sure that when people say haunted, they don't really mean that. You just came back to Eastwood, didn't you? Three weeks ago. There are some that are meant to be wanderers. And others, well, it's no good for them to go looking for things. How long were you away? Nearly eight years. When my mother died, there wasn't anyone here that I belonged to. I thought when you went away that you'd be back. I've been hoping that here, where I grew up, I might find a place I belong to. A place that when I wake up in the morning, I'd be glad it was another day. When I went to sleep, I'd know that it had been something to have been awake. I've rented the cottage. Does that surprise you? Uh, Mr. Bradford, he's bringing someone here to, today to look at it. They want a housekeeper and maid. Uh, the work won't be hard. You'll get room and board and the regular wages. Oh, that's quite satisfactory. If you think I'll do. Then let's get started. You can get your things from the village later. These people, are they a honeymoon couple? I didn't ask. Oh, I was hoping you were going to renew the old tradition, Mrs. Minnett. What old tradition? Why, the one about this cottage. How for nearly a century it was rented only to honeymooners. That tradition is broken. I broke it. Oh. This cottage was deeded to my husband as a wedding present. It was to have been our home. Only I've had to live on here alone. Do you know what loneliness is? Real loneliness? Yes. I thought you might. Come now and I'll show you your room. <laughs> beg your pardon. That's all right. You must be Laura. Oh, yes, sir. Mrs. Minnett mentioned you. I'm Mr. Bradford. Well, I've been gathering some holly for the mantle. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Minnett is showing my fiancé around. You're the uh, maid. Yes, Mr. Bradford. I've been examining this goblet. There's an inscription on it, isn't there? But I can't make it out. Oh, it's very old. The man who built the cottage gave it to his son when he was married. He and his bride drank a toast from it on their wedding night. This thing must hold half a quart. You mean to say they killed it all by themselves? Well, so the story goes. <laughs> well, when you had a cocktail in those days, you weren't kidding. There's so many old things about this place. Do they all have a story? Most of them. 
You must have been here quite a while with Miss Lennon. Oh, no. I just came this morning. This morning? But mm -hmm. you seem to know all about this place. Well, I was born in the village. When I was a little girl, I heard all the stories there were about the cottage. It was like, oh, like living near a fairy tale. Next thing you'll be telling me, it's haunted. Oh, no, it's not haunted. But it is enchanted. Well, it comes to the same thing, doesn't it? Oh, no. Haunted, that's to be restless, uneasy, afraid. It's ugly. But enchantment. That's to be happy and gay. It's beauty. You see, all the people who lived here loved one another. Look, here in the window. Yes, what is that, that handwriting on the glass? These are their names. Young men and women who in this very room swore to love each other always. Evangeline and Clement, 1814. Judith and Richard, 1798. They wrote that themselves? They're all a part of this place now. Forever. You really believe all this, don't you? Oliver? Oh, yes, dear. Well, what do you think? Well, I admit it's all very charming. <clears throat> oh, it's much more than that. It's enchanting. I've just received a guarantee that if we spend our honeymoon here, we'll live happily ever after. Oh, uh, this is Laura, darling. How do you do? Is there anything else you care to see, miss? I don't think so, Mrs. Minnett. Mr. Bradford stumbles on your cottage. He's fascinated by it and persuades you to rent it to him. What can I say? In other words, Miss Alexander is delighted by the prospect of spending her honeymoon here. Uh, there are a few questions, Mr. Bradford. Mrs. Minnett, I've filled out so many forms in the past few weeks, I can tell you anything you want to know with photostatic copies. Mr. Bradford means he's applied for a commission in the Army Air Corps. Oh. Oh, but don't worry. The Army won't be my sole means of support. I'm really a very good risk in spite of the uncertainty of my profession. Oh, really, Oliver? We plan to be here at least three months, Mrs. Minnett. It'll take that long to get my commission. It may come sooner than you think. Oh, no, not a chance. Army red tape and everything. Well, we'll be back on Tuesday, Mrs. Minnett, and... What's the matter? I just had an idea. Let me have your ring, darling. My ring? Yes, and come over here to this window. If we're going to stay here, we must observe all the old traditions. Hmm? See those names etched on the window pane? Yes. Our name should be there, too. And if that's a real diamond I bought you, a... here, look, I'll show you. Oliver, you're not going to cut the glass with my diamond. Don't worry, it won't hurt it a... Oh. Now look. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. Forgive me? <laughs> what did you do? Let me see. Well, the stone fell out of the setting. I'll have it fixed first thing in the morning. Now, I suppose if I were superstitious, I'd regard this as a warning that we shouldn't get married at all. You're oh. not married yet. That's why it happened. Only honeymoon couples may write their names on that window. Oh, well, we're going to be married on Tuesday, Mrs. Minnett. Maybe we'll have better luck when we return. Well, goodbye and thank you again. Goodbye. And you, uh, Laura, be sure to dust off that goblet for us. Do you know the roads, Mr. Bradford? There's a storm coming up. Oh, well enough. Bye. Bye. Goodbye, Miss Alexander. Bye. Hurry, Oliver. Ooh, oh, they seem so happy, don't they, Mrs. Minnett? Very happy. You know, I... Why, look at, look at your calendar on the desk. Yes. Well, your calendar's way off, Mrs. Minnett. Let me see. Today is December 7th, 1941, and on here it's April 6th, 1917. April 6th, 1917. Why, you're just 24 years, eight months, and one day off schedule. Let it alone. Let it alone. <laughs> United States at war with Japan. Germany declares war on the United States. How much more time, Oliver? Only a moment. Darling, how can I thank you? Thank me for what? You're going to war. On the day we were going to be married, you're going to war. If I could have stopped you, I would have. But you do believe we did the right thing? I mean in waiting until I get back. Yes, darling, I do. 
Oliver, why didn't you let your mother come to the station with us? And Freddie, too. After all, your mother and father... Freddie, dear, is Freddie. All right, your stepfather. Oh, he's a good guy. He's swell to my mother. But I'm very glad they let us get out alone. Your mother will never forgive you. Mother's upset about just one thing. According to her, they had no right to start a war, especially in December. It's going to mean canceling all those parties. Oh, but you saw how she cried when you left. Oh, it isn't that we don't love each other. It's just that I can never talk to her about anything important. We've always seemed to go past each other from the very beginning. We just don't... You know, looking at you now here in the middle of a railroad station, it occurs to me that I love you very much. Do you? You mean this war isn't just a great big excuse you cooked up to get out of marrying me? Oh, <laughs> oh I almost forgot here. I made out a check to that woman at the cottage, Mrs. Minnett. Drop her line, dear, and tell her why we never showed up. I'll tell her that we're modern, intelligent people and... No... I'll just let her guess. Oh, it's time, darling. Do you mind if I kiss you? Oliver. Oh, Oliver. With the enclosed check, which you asked me to send you the day you reported for duty, we both regret any trouble we may have caused you. It's signed Beatrice Alexander. You can put the letter in the desk, Clara. If they're not coming, you won't be needing me, Mrs. Minnett. You're welcome to stay. Oh, but I couldn't. Not unless I can be of some help. You can be of help. You're going to rent the cottage to someone else? Perhaps, when the time comes. No. No, I don't. It may be better if if you gave up the canteen. Oh, I like it. Really, I do. It's a nice walk, and I like the work. Well, I'd better be on my way. I won't be late, Mrs. Minnett. Oh, anywhere, Mrs. Warren, wherever you can find room. Oh, I've never seen so many dishes. Why, you poor darling. You've been at that sink all evening, haven't you? Oh, but then you don't go in for all this modern dancing, do you? No, I don't. Oh, personally, if I did nothing but wash dishes, I... Oh, well, I suppose everyone really does what they're best fitted for, don't you? Oh, I am sorry. That was a terrible thing to say. Oh, please, it, it was perfectly all right. Nevertheless, some of the most gorgeous marine stuff came in. And I insist that you go on out. Oh, oh, no, thank you, Mrs. Dunn. What else will take over here for a change? And you're going to have a good time, I insist. Oh, please, really, Mrs. Warren? I'm the hostess here. You have your orders. Now, stand. <laughs> They're the cutest bunch of boys. I can't imagine what they keep them between walls. <laughs> now, see here, boys. Why haven't you got a girl? Well, I'd sure like one, but who? Well, <laughs> we'll fix that. See, there's a girl all alone at that table. Her name is Laura Pennington. Oh, please, lady, we just got a load of Miss Pennington. If you don't mind, we'll sit this one out. Why, Miss Pennington, sitting here all by yourself. Why, I, I don't mind, Mrs. Warren. Well, yes, but why? And I've been sending all those nice boys over to this table. But, Miss Pennington. Excuse me. I want to get out of here. I don't want to ever come here again. Yes? Aren't you home early? Yes. I... I think I'll go right to bed. Is something wrong? Laura, you've been crying, haven't you? It's nothing. Please. Oh. If only I were not as I am. 
If only I were pretty. You don't have to tell me what happened. I think I know. Laura, it's not for some of us to try to live like other people. You think you can sometimes. There's always the world to remind you. All the things that other people take for granted, you've got to make up your mind and your heart. They're not for you. You've got to find something else to take their place. Somewhere where you're safe, where no one can hurt you. That's why I wanted you to be here. Because there's something here for you that there isn't anywhere else. You understand? Yes, I understand. Good night, Mrs. Minnett. Uh, Laura, wait a minute. While you were in the village, a telegram came. It was from Oliver Bradford. Mr. Bradford? He wants to rent the cottage, starting tomorrow. Oh, then they did get married after all. Imagine they're remembering the cottage and still wanting to come here. Mrs. Minnett, there is something about this cottage. There is indeed. It needs a good cleaning. out front. What a shame. It has to be raining like this. If, if you'll go to the door, I'll make some coffee for them. Did you get my telegram? Yes, Mr. Bradford. If you don't mind, I'll go straight to my room. You're alone? Yes. I see. I'll take you upstairs. Coffee, Mrs. Minnett, and some sandwiches. Give me and... the tray, Laura. Mr. Bradford came alone. He doesn't wish to see anyone. Alone? Something has happened to him. I don't know what it is. His face. He hides his face. What can we do? Nothing. We can wait. That's all. Yes, perhaps that's better. To just wait. So the curtain falls on Act One of Enchanted Cottage, starring Dorothy McGuire and Robert Young. It's time now for a brief intermission and a chat with uh, Libby Collins, our Hollywood reporter. Sometimes it happens, doesn't it, Libby? A young actress with real dramatic ability gets a break she deserves. I'm thinking of Barbara Hale, who plays the only leading feminine role in RKO's picture, First Yank into Tokyo. Now, there's a girl who's making a steady rise to stardom, Mr. Stromberg. Yes, she was the unanimous choice of producer and director for the part of the American nurse in their exciting story of a Jap prison camp. I watched her make some of the scenes for First Yank into Tokyo on the RKO lot. Setting was an authentic reproduction of a Jap concentration camp, and it was grim, all right. But Barbara, as the courageous young American nurse, looked very beautiful. Don't you agree, Mr. Kennedy? I think she was a fortunate choice. She has plenty of acting ability and good looks. But then, Libby, you know how partial I am to Lux girls. <laughs> well, Mr. Kennedy, a lovely Lux complexion has that effect on a great many people. Barbara's a hard-working young actress, and she's very wise, too. She knows how important soft, smooth skin is to success, on the screen or off. She's chosen a beauty care that nine out of ten famous screen stars, lovely women everywhere, depend on. Barbara Hale says her Lux Soap Active Ladder Facials do wonders for her skin. Here's the simple daily care she never neglects. I cover my face generously with Lux Soap Super Creamy Lather and work it in gently but thoroughly. I rinse first with warm water and splash on cold. Now I pat my face dry with a soft towel. Simple, isn't it? But it works. Recent tests have proved that. Actually, three out of four complexions improved in a short time with this daily Lux Soap Care. This fine white soap is a true beauty soap. 
Screen stars say the gentle, creamy lather is like a caress on the skin. If you haven't used Lux Toilet Soap, why not begin your active lather facials tomorrow? Take them regularly for a while. Then look in your mirror. We're pretty sure you'll say... My skin feels so much softer, smoother, looks so fresh, too. Now I know why Lux Toilet Soap is Hollywood's own beauty soap. Here's our guest producer, Mr. Hunt Stromberg. Act Two of The Enchanted Cottage, starring Robert Young as Oliver and Dorothy McGuire as Laura. Three hours have passed. In an upstairs room at the cottage, Oliver Bradford, behind a closed door, stares blankly through the rain-streaked window. Below in the kitchen, Mrs. Minnett and Laura wait in silence, while in the front room are two more recent arrivals, Oliver's stepfather and his fiancée. Desperately, they try to figure out what has happened to him. We've been here exactly one hour and 14 minutes, and what good has it done? Why, the boy won't even talk to us. Maybe he'll talk to his mother. She's still up there, isn't she? Pounding on his door, begging him to say something. I thought that when the army dismissed him from the hospital, when he was discharged from the service, that he was well again. Now he doesn't even want us. Well, he was pretty badly bashed up, Beatrice. But there's no sense becoming a mental case over a little injury. Certainly his face is disfigured. But there are thousands much worse off than he is. Maybe if we left him alone. If we let him think things out for himself. There's simply no reason for him to run away from home. Well, here's his mother. He just won't talk to me. Couldn't I pour you some tea, dear? That girl just brought some in. Oh, thank heaven, tea. He won't even open the door. I even cried a little. He told me to go away. Then why don't we go? In a few weeks, this forsaken hole, he'll appreciate a little friendly society. Beatrice, whatever happened between you and Oliver? I mean, after he left the hospital. I, I just don't know. Well, something did happen. Did you quarrel? No. We didn't cross. Well, but I don't see why you wouldn't go upstairs and talk to him. If anyone can persuade him to leave this bread. I couldn't. But you, you're our only hope. Oh, I wish you wouldn't ask me. But you and he were going to be married. Oh, please try, Beatrice. Very well. I'll try. Oh, bless you, darling. And remember, you must be brave. That's so important. Oliver. Please, Oliver. Won't you speak to me? Won't you? I meant what I said when they sent you home. We can be married. We can be married right away. Oh, why did we have to have this terrible war? Oliver, that day you came home, no one had told me. And when you turned and looked at me and I saw your face, I, I just wasn't prepared. That's why you thought I... Oh, I can't help it if I'm weak. Aren't you listening, Oliver? All right. I'll go. I'll go. What do you want? Are you all right, Mr. Bradford? What do you mean by breaking into my room? I'm the maid, Mr. Bradford. I was outside bringing in some logs. There was a flash of lightning and I saw you by the window. I saw a gun in your hand. Relax, will you? I haven't done anything. Your mother left this note for you. I'm afraid she was very upset when she left this afternoon. Will you please mind your own business? I'm sorry. Don't you understand? Do you think I want people to see me? Light the lamp. I said light the lamp. Yes. Now hold the lamp and look. Look. You saw me before. Doesn't the chain shock you? 
No. Oh, how can you know? You can't realize what it is to face life disfigured and a... I'm going downstairs now, Mr. Bradford. I'll be back with your supper. Your name was Laura, wasn't it? Yes. Thank you, Laura. What's this out here, the garden? Oh, Mr. Bradford. Good morning. What are you doing? Oh, this is wood engraving. You're pretty good at it. Well, I entered some in an exhibit once, some seascapes, and I won a prize. Not a first prize, but it was a prize. Mm. I used to win prizes, too. Tennis, swimming. I once knew a fellow who used to make ship models in glass bottles. Always asking to tell me why. <laughs> I never got a satisfactory answer. Well, I do block prints because uh, I like to do block prints, I guess. I never thought of that. But he never did either. You'll find a hobby of your own one of these days, I hope. Be careful. You don't want to talk like Freddie, do you? From the way you say it, I'm sure I don't. And I don't even know who Freddie is. That's the best thing that can happen to anybody, not to know who Freddie is. In uh, case you think I'm not making much sense, that's what I think, too. You know, you're a very kind person. You haven't asked me how I feel or if I slept well... You don't seem at all worked up about that gun incident. That was three days ago, wasn't it? Why have I stayed in my room for three days? I don't know, really. I don't think it matters. Yes. You've got a lot of sense, too. You'd be amazed how few people have any. If you'll excuse me now, I think I'd better get started on the housework. Yes, wouldn't do to neglect the housework, would it? Shall I do Mr. Bradford's next, Mrs. Minnett? I don't think Mrs. Minnett hears you, Miss Pennington. Oh! Why, Mr. Hillgrove? It is, Miss Pennington. However did you remember my name? It wasn't so long ago we met. Just a year or so. I'm calling to see Mr. Bradford. Oh? Mrs. Minnett's just gone to tell him. But she warned me that he, he doesn't want to see anyone. I'm very glad you came. He needs friends. You know, this is a real adventure for me. This is the first time I've been inside this cottage. I must have walked by it a hundred times. It has a strange fascination. Indeed it has. Somehow I feel that if I ever get to know this place, it'll be more than just a cottage. To me, it has a life of its own. Everything connected with it seems so different. Mrs. Minnett, for example. I wonder about her. When she first came here, she came as a bride. But her husband was killed in the last war. On the desk is a calendar, April 6th, 1917. She's never changed the date. Time seems to have stopped for her the day her husband went away. She's withdrawn into the past. Yes. Well, perhaps that's one way to know the future. Mr. Bradford's in the garden. I'll be glad to take you to him. Thank you. Your nephew, where's Danny? Oh, he left me here. Said he'd be down on the shore with his dog. Well, I'll take you to the garden, and then I think I'll find Danny. I'd like to see him. And as long as we're more or less neighbors, Mr. Bradford, I thought we might also be friends. I'm not very good at friendship these days. Sick man, are you? Don't I look like one? I wouldn't know. I'm blind. Oh. I'm sorry. The last war, I was a pilot. That's what I am. 
or was, when they dragged me out of the jungle. You're young. You'll mend. Oh, you can't see me. How do you know how I look? There's nothing left of me but nerves. Nothing but... Go right ahead. Complain all you want if it makes you feel better. Apparently, you never complain. You haven't given me a chance. All right. How in the name of heaven have you stood it all these years? Being blind? Sometimes I feel that as a young man I was blind. That it's only now that I can really see. I don't believe you. Anyway, it would never work for me. Why not? Because I'm not blind. Because I still want the same things I wanted when I had a face that people could look at without wincing. And this arm of mine did more than just hang here. When I was well and strong... I batted my head against many a wall, just the way you're doing. As a matter of fact, I was lost until I found music. And then a whole new life began for me. Music. I don't know one note from another. You'll find something. Yes, how? Where? In yourself. Because you're a human being, not a medical case. You're a man who's come across a place in the road where it... where it branches off. You don't want to go ahead. You want to go back. You don't trust yourself. Oh, how can I trust myself? You must. And you will. Well, I mustn't overstay my first visit. I'll call my young nephew. I believe he's waiting down at the shore. I'll walk down there with you. Oh, I can manage. No, I'd like to. It's the uh, first time I've really felt like walking. Daddy, he's bringing the stick back again. <laughs> he sure is a silly old dog. You know why I throw the stick out in the ocean when he brings it back to me? <laughs> Maybe he thinks you're a silly old boy. No more than he brings the stick back, you throw it out again. <laughs> you can throw it if you want to. Well, thank you, Danny. Thanks, Hey, Uncle John. Goodbye, Miss Pennington. Bye. Come on, old dog. Come on. Welcome to our ocean, Mr. Bradford. Danny was helping me gather some driftwood. Well, uh, how would that be as a hobby for me? A driftwood gathering? <laughs> oh, too practical. Hobby for hobby's sake, it's supposed to be. Well, maybe I could set a new style in hobbies. Well, why don't you try? Here, here's the basket. But you'll have to do your gathering without my help. I still haven't started that housework. <laughs> Driftwood weighs a ton. I told you to leave some for tomorrow. Well, nevertheless, I've made it. Has it actually been three weeks since you introduced me to the wonders of your seashore? Three weeks. You think I didn't know the difference between a starfish and a star sapphire? Well, if you'd been in doubt, any fisherman could have told you. Or any Jew of it. <laughs> Look, there's Mrs. Bennett. Surprise, Mrs. Bennett. We brought you some more driftwood. Thanks. That makes just about enough for a dozen winters. <laughs> well, you can always use it. Well, it's probably never been done before, but I could gather up all the driftwood I've gathered and take it back to the shore. <laughs> that would be different. Yes, it's something to think about. But first, I think I'll dump this on the wood pile. It's wonderful, isn't it, the way he's changed. If only they'll let him alone now. They? The letter just came for him. Sooner or later, they'd hear from them. He'd hear from them. Perhaps it's better now. <laughs> dark. He's just sitting there, the way he did that first night. His supper? He didn't touch it. I brought the tray down. Did he mention that letter? He said nothing, only that Mr. Hillgrove was coming tonight. He told me to tell him that he won't be able to see him. Well, maybe that's Mr. Hillgrove now. No. No, it's him. Look, through the window. He's walking toward the ocean. He shouldn't be alone like that. He shouldn't be. Mr. Bradford? Mr. Bradford? What do you want? Oh, 
Did I frighten you? I didn't mean to. But it's so dark I couldn't see. There's little you miss, even in the dark. I thought you might not want to be alone. Or that it might not be safe for me to be alone. I'll go back if you want. Is there anything you want me to tell Mr. Hillgrove? No, nothing. He's leaving tonight on a concert tour, you know. Yes, I know. Laura. Yes? Don't go back, please. These past few weeks I had the idea that the walks we took and talking to me... I hoped I was being of some help to you. And I thought if you needed help now, I... That uh, letter this afternoon, it's from my mother, Freddie. They've decided it isn't good for me to be alone, where I can brood too much. I can go home to their loving care, or they're prepared to make the supreme sacrifice and come to live here with me. They want to know if they shouldn't bring a trained nurse with them. Oh, but they can't do that. Why, nothing could do you more harm There's no way to make them understand. No way to escape them. Give me your hand. Promise me you won't give up. Promise. You understand. Because you're thoughtful and kind. Laura, don't be startled at what I'm going to say. Will you marry me? No, don't pull away. Look at me. I had no idea I was going to ask you that. But I'm glad I did. Will you believe me that the very asking makes me realize I've been thinking about it for some time? And I mean it. With all my heart. If you want to marry me to get rid of your family, there must be dozens of girls who'd suit your purpose better than I. You think I have such a great choice? A casualty for the rest of my life? I understand. I got the chance because I... I'm such a fool. I wouldn't have hurt you for anything in the world. It isn't as if I weren't aware of my ugliness. Women like me... Find a refuge in our dreams, daydreams as well as night dreams, merciful dreams, in which were lovely and desirable. It's cruel to destroy those dreams. I only felt that no woman would marry me except out of compassion. I know you have a lot of that. You know how desperate I get at times, but I promise if I felt a black spell coming on, I'd hide away in my room till it passed. But with you, I wouldn't have them often because I like being with you. The sound of your voice, your laughter. I know I'm not offering you much, but, well, we are sort of in the same boat, and we would be together. That's so much better than being alone. But I don't want to be your wife just because you need one, and I happen to be here. Don't you see? Yes, I see. You couldn't possibly care enough. But I do care. That's the reason. Oh, bless you, Laura. Bless you forever and ever. From Oliver. A telegram. Why, I never heard of such a thing. What does it say? Tell me. There will be no need of your coming here. Laura Pennington and I were married yesterday. I'll write more later. Love, Oliver. (gasps) Married? Mr. Hillgrove, come in, please. Thank you. You uh, came here alone? I took a taxi cab this time. Not Danny, a real cab. I've been out of town, Mrs. Minnett, a concert tour. When I arrived home tonight, I found a note from Oliver Bradford. Yes. Danny read it to me. Oliver told me of his marriage. Then he asked me to come here as soon as I could. 
He said something extraordinary has happened to him and Laura. They're out now. They're walking. Everything's all right? Oh, yes. This room. What's happened? It feels different somehow. It's the flowers, maybe. No, no, it's it's more than that. Mrs. Minnett, tell me, please. What's happened to them? I don't know. They see me no more of me than they can help. They're in hiding. Hiding? They keep to themselves all day. And when they go out at night, they... They wrap themselves up and cover their faces. They... Oh, they're here now. Excuse me. Laura? Mr. Bradford? Mr. Hillgrove here, in the living room. Hello, hello. Oh, John, it's good to see you again. Hello, John. I think we should have died if we'd had to wait much longer. Well, what's this about, all this mystery? Well, it may be insane, but we sent for you because you're the only one we can trust. We... We don't really know how to explain it. it it's fantastic. Oh, Oliver, let me. Not that I'm very articulate about it, but... Well... It has to do with this cottage. I think, John, you know my feeling about it. It's the same as yours. There's something strange here, something... But what has it to do with you and Oliver? Well, it's, it's pretty incredible, John. We've changed. Changed? Completely? I can tell that from your voices. You feel different because you're happy. Well, it's more than that. It's a, it's a physical change. We, we no longer look as we did. We're different. John, tell us that it's true, that we have changed. But I, I'm blind. I can't see. That's why we had to tell you first. John, look. Look at us and tell us what your blind eyes can see. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. In just a minute, we'll bring you the third act of The Enchanted Cottage with Dorothy McGuire and Robert Young. We have with us tonight one of RKO's prettiest young actresses, Miss Rita Carday. Perhaps some of you may have seen her on the screen. What were your latest pictures, Rita? I've appeared in several of the Falcon series, Mrs. Stromberg, and I have a part in George White's Scandal, soon to be released. Well, I understand you got into the movies by uh, quite a long and roundabout route. Yes, by way of Indochina, Saipan, Australia, and San Francisco. You see, my family were living in Shanghai when the Japs came in and we had to run for our lives. Well, it's Hollywood's good luck you arrived safely. Don't you agree, Mr. Kennedy, that Miss Carday is a candidate for success on the screen? I should say I do. If acting ability and fresh young beauty mean anything, I think I really ought to describe you for our listeners, Miss Corday. Let's see. Ash blonde hair, gray eyes, and a gorgeous luxe complexion. There now, Rita. How do you like that word picture? <laughs> really, Mr. Kennedy, it's a very flattering one. You're quite accurate, uh, accurate about my being a Lux girl, though. I've used Lux toilet soap ever since I first learned it was the screen star's own complexion care. Active ladder facials really work, I found. Thank you, Miss Rita Corday. I'm sure pretty girls everywhere will agree with you. They know this gentle care nine out of ten screen stars depend on is quick, effective, and so easy to use. Why not prove it for yourself? Get a supply of this satin-smooth beauty soap tomorrow. See if you're not delighted with the gentle, cherishing care it gives your skin. And here's another tip. You'll find Lux Toilet Soap makes a delightful daily beauty bath, too. The rich, creamy lather leaves skin so fresh and sweet. Makes a girl sure of daintiness. 
Screen stars say they love Lux Toilet Soap's flower-like perfume. Delicate fragrance that clings. Back to Mr. Stromberg and our stars. Act three of The Enchanted Cottage, starring Robert Young as Oliver and Dorothy, Dorothy McGuire as Laura. Only a few moments have passed since Laura and Oliver have told John Hillgrove of the amazing change that has come over them in the, in the Enchanted Cottage. The blind pianist can discern nothing with his eyes. He sits motionless and fascinated as they continue the story. If you could only see us, John. First as we were, then as we are now. Your eyes would know that we we're telling you only the truth. Perhaps, perhaps if you started at the beginning. We were married in the village, and when we came home, Mrs. Minnett had prepare, prepared dinner, our wedding dinner. When it was over, she left the room, this room. I could feel Oliver's eyes upon me. I wanted to look at him, but I was afraid of what I might read in his eyes. She knows that this marriage is nothing but my supreme selfishness. The last barrier I can build to keep out the world that I'm afraid to face. What would I have done to her? This girl who sits across the table from me and bows her head. What terribly shabby trick have I played upon her, trying to palm off the broken, bitter shell of a man on one so gentle, so honest. And what can I say to her? There's nothing I can say. Nothing. He is my husband. And yet he can never know how much he means to me. That I've loved him ever since the first day he stepped into this room. I'll never be able to tell him all that was in my heart. Because he can never love me as I love him. If only I could make him understand. Perhaps through music. The first notes I struck were like the touch of a magic wand. I could feel the room changing. There was a new warmth, a radiance, a strange enchantment embracing everything about me. I turned and looked at Oliver. His scars were gone. The lines of his anguished face had disappeared and I saw him as he was the first day in December. Suddenly I thought, how could I fool myself? How could I be the bride of such a man as this? I started to cry. I rushed from the room. She was gone before I could stop her. I knew how cruelly I'd hurt her. I had no choice. I would release her. Release her from the torture that our marriage meant to her. I found her in the garden. I remembered all her kindness. The thousand and one little ways in which she had lightened my loneliness. And suddenly, I knew how much she had come to mean to me. I took her in my arms to tell her. She was beautiful. More beautiful than anyone I had ever known. That was when we knew, John. That was when we knew. Now we've told you and I'm afraid. I can't help it, but I am afraid. Why, Laura, why? It's this cottage. Houses are living things alive with all the thoughts and all the memories of the people who've lived in them. But the lovers who came here before were not like us. Ours was a marriage of convenience. They may think that we've profaned their memory and this may be their revenge, letting us have happiness for a moment before taking it away. That's why I'm afraid. I couldn't stand being ugly again for Oliver. Darling, you can't talk like that. John, have you nothing to say? Mrs. Minnett, does she know? She never looks at us, but she knows. I know she knows. Laura, 
Oliver, take this gift that's come to you and enjoy it without question, without fear. Accept it humbly as a heaven-sent miracle and be grateful for it. A miracle? Don't either of you believe in miracles? Modern miracles that may happen to you or to me, today, tomorrow? You've both been touched by a power that is beyond this world. Accept your blessing. Don't speak to anyone about it. It belongs to you. John. Then you understand. You believe? I believe what you've told me. Keep your happiness. Cherish it as you would your lives. I love you so, Oliver. And I have the strangest feeling. Almost as if these walls were breathing. All the memories and ghosts of love. Live, live, live. That's what they seem to say. This is our day and night. All our enchanted life to be lived now. I have a feeling, too. Madness. It's contagious. That's what's nice about it. Listen. What? That song I hear. A melody that whispers all through these enchanted rooms. What does it say, this song you hear? I love you, Laura. That's what it says. The song I hear. Do you have to screw up your nose like that, dear, when you're making wood blocks? Of course, darling. It's just as essential as biting one's tongue when you're drawing. Oh, that's reasonable. You know, I could sit here forever and just look at you. <laughs> Is that all? Well, occasionally I'd want very much to kiss you. You see, I... I've been standing here for five minutes. John! <laughs> Waiting to make a less embarrassing entrance. That might take hours. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. You're alone? Yes, I came by courtesy of the milk truck. You know, it's been almost a week since we've seen you. Well, I was in the village just now, and a telegram came in for you, Oliver. I said I'd bring it out. Telegram? Oh, it's from my mother, Laura. She and Freddie. They're coming here today. Well, that, uh, that, that's fine. It is fine. I'm glad they're coming. I'm only sorry I hadn't asked them to before now. I'm glad too, John. I want them to see how happy we are. But most of all, well, I'd like them to see that Oliver didn't do too badly marrying me. Darling. <laughs> well, anyway, I have the most exciting new dress Mr. and... Bradford? Yes, Mrs. Minnett. There's a car stopping in front of the house. Hmm? It's your mother and stepfather. Mr. Bradford, you weren't expecting them, Oh, Mr. Hillgrove. Good afternoon. We are expecting them, Mrs. Minnett. It's so typical of Mother not to give us more warning. Oh, but I can't meet them looking like this. Go ahead, you two. I'll entertain them till you're ready. Sure you don't mind? Actually, I'm glad of the opportunity. Well, come along then, darling. We'll have to hurry. Yes. Oh, Mrs. Minnett. Yes? Do you suppose we could have an especially fine tea this afternoon? What's the matter, Mrs. Minnett? Oh, please, don't be upset. We're really very pleased to have them come. I'm all right. Run along. Bring them here, Mrs. Minnett. I think you understand. Yes. Yes, I understand. Well, now that we've met, won't you sit down? It's really a very pleasant garden. Oh, thank you. But where's my son, Mr. Hillgrove? Where is he? He and Laura are in the cottage. They'll be out in a moment. And it's good we're alone because there's something I have to explain. He doesn't want to see us. That's it, isn't it? They do want to see you very much. But something extraordinary has happened to Oliver and Laura. They're different people. Different? How? They're on the borderland of the greatest happiness they've ever experienced. But they've changed. They've changed greatly. And I know that this change, as they see it, is not as you will see it. What in the world are you trying to tell us? Suppose I put it this way. When you see them walk out of the cottage, whatever they do, whatever they say, please act along with them. 
pretend that the change is as great as they imagine it to be. Change? For heaven's sakes, what change? Oliver isn't well. That's what you're trying to tell me. He isn't well. He's perfectly well. Oh, Freddie, we should have come here long ago. In time to come, when they're ready to face the world, they will have found out the truth for themselves. But now, believe me, it would actually be better if you went away without even seeing him. You can't mean that. How can a mother desert her only son at a time like this? Now, where is he? Oliver! Oliver! We'll be right down, Mother. Remember that the next few minutes may be the most important in their lives. You hold their chance for happiness in your hands. Here they are. They're coming. Oh, Oliver. Oliver. Mother, oh, it's good to see you. And Freddie. Hello, Oliver. Well, you both remember Laura, don't you? I'm so glad to meet you, Mrs. Price. Oh, how do you do? We got your telegram just a few minutes ago. It seemed to add just the note we wanted. You're coming here. Well, Mrs. Millett's getting tea. Oh, and just wait until you've tasted her scone. This is going to be a real party, isn't it? A memorable occasion because you're the first mother, you and Freddie, besides John here. There's nobody else who knows. Knows what? Look here, Oliver, I really Poor think Freddie, it's be... a greater shock to you than anyone, isn't it? But you'll soon get used to the change. You won't even remember us as we used to look. <laughs> Laura and I actually joke about it now. Mother. Mother, what is it? Oh, my poor boy. You poor, poor darling. But if you're happy, well, I guess that's all that really matters. Laura, I'm glad he married you, my dear. Believe me, I am. Thank you. It's clear you're such a loyal girl. You've got so much more to give him. So much more than just a pretty girl. Uh, a pretty girl? It's fortunate that Oliver has an income and that Freddie and I can help. That way, you'll be able to stay right on here, the two of you. We'll visit as often as we can, but it won't be necessary for you to see people or even leave here. Here's Mrs. Millett. Would you like some tea? I couldn't swallow a mouthful. I, I've got a dreadful headache coming on. I know you'll forgive us if we just run along. You poor, poor darling. Goodbye, son. Don't worry about anything. Goodbye. I'll be in the cottage. Stay here, Mrs. Minnett. Laura, Oliver, I hoped I could spare you this. I don't understand. You've known the truth about us, haven't you, John? You've known all along. Yes, I have. And you've known too, haven't you, Mrs. Minnett? Tell us the truth. Have you noticed any change in our appearance? Have you? Have you seen any change, whatever? No. Look at us, Mrs. Minnett. There is no change now. None. Why didn't you tell us? There's nothing I could have told you. When I knew you had to find out the truth just now, I thought my heart would break. And yet, what is there really to be sad about? Shall I tell you the secret? Shall I? Please. You love each other. I've watched you from the beginning. And on the day of your wedding, I saw your love blaze up like a fierce flame. Keep your love burning. Keep it burning. And I promise you, you'll never be anything to one another but fair and young and handsome. That's the secret to the only enchantment the cottage holds. And it's of your own making. Just as I am. Broken and old. If my man could rise from his grave and, and walk in this minute and behold me... I should be pretty to him 
Yes, pretty to him. John, don't feel badly. I wanted so to help. You did help. If we'd known sooner, it might have been... But now... Now it's all right. Isn't that Danny's story? Yes, I guess he and the boy have come to fetch me. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, Laura. There's... There's something... Something that may interest you. I've written some music. About you. About this cottage. Tonight at my house, I'm playing it. There'll be people there. Many people. I want you to come. People? Us? How can we? Think about it. Perhaps you'll change your mind. Let's go into the cottage, darling. How long have we been sitting here? Hours and hours, darling. And all that time, I've had but one thought. Laura... You'll always be beautiful to me. And nothing in this world could ever change the way I feel about you. You know that. Yes, dearest, I know. Oliver, we've never written our names in the window. Somehow I think they'd want us to now. You write mine and I'll write yours. Then I think it would be nice if we paid John a visit. After all, we owe him quite a few visits. There'll be people there, darling. Yes, I know. It's a big world and full of people. And a place for you and me among them. You'll come, Laura. Yes. And so full of pride. So full of pride. And that was Robert Young and Dorothy McGuire in the Lux Radio Theatre version of The Enchanted Cottage. Wonderful stuff, quite brilliant. Well, if you've enjoyed today's show and if you'd like more, then remember there are now 50 extra bonus shows available to patrons. Hundreds of hours of extra reviews and all-time radio, all there for you right now in your own private and personal podcast feeds that are entirely exclusive to patrons. Yes, all you do is sign up over at patreon.com slash attaboysecret and you'll have instant access to not just the bonus Attaboy shows but also the bonus secret history shows. They're all there, hundreds and hundreds of hours of extra bonus content for you. You'll also get monthly invites to film club nights where I and all of you guys congregate in a private online screening room and watch a movie that you get to vote for. Lots of other bonuses available and all you need to do is go on over and sign up. Takes about two minutes. And most importantly, you'll become a co-producer of this show. Yes, your kind support allows these shows to be made. I can't make them without you. It's that simple. If you're interested, do go on over and sign up. And if you've forgotten how already, just listen on to the end of this show for all that information again. Thank you so much for joining me this time. I'll be back in two weeks with another slice of classic movie goodness. But until then, take very, very good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www 
attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Drabo Shag. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.